Chapter Two of the Girl Who Had Nothing by Mrs. C. N. Williamson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Lynn Allison. The Old Lady's Nephew. At first, there was no question of formal adoption. Joan simply stayed on and was allowed to feel she had a right to stay. Gallon did all he could to oust her, for his mind had telescopic power, and brought the future near. He feared the girl, but he dared not actually offend his aunt, lest he should lose at once what he wished to safeguard himself against losing later. The child made Lady Thorndyke happier than she had ever been. Her presence created sunshine. She was never naughty like other children. She was never sulky nor disagreeable. A governess was procured for her, a mild, commonplace lady whom Joan despised and astonished with her progress. I was born knowing a lot of things which she could never learn, the little girl told herself scornfully. But she did not despise George Gallon, whom she occasionally saw, nor did she exactly fear him, because she believed she would be able to hold her own in case the day ever came for a second contest, as she foresaw it would. When she had learned all that the governess knew, and rather more besides, she was sent to a boarding school in Paris to be finished. After her first term, she came back to Brighton for the Christmas holidays, so grown up, so beautiful, and so distinguished, that Lady Thorndyke was very proud. "'What shall I give you for Christmas, my dear?' she asked. "'A diamond ring?' Joan kissed her withered leaf of a hand. "'If you love me,' she said, Give me the right to call myself your daughter. That is the one thing in the world you have left me hungry for. Will you adopt me, so that I can feel I am your own, your own child? Think what it would be if anyone ever claimed me and took me away from you. Joan's love was not all a pretense. She would have been a monster if it had, instead of the mere girl of seventeen she was, with a large nature and capacities for good which had been stunted and turned the wrong way. But the vicissitudes of life had taught her to be even more observant than she was critical, and she knew as well how to manage Lady Thorndyke as if the kind old creature had been a marionette, working with strings. It was not necessary to let her benefactress know all that was in her mind, nor how she had calculated that to be the rich woman's legally adopted daughter ought to mean being her heiress as well. While she pleaded to be Lady Thorndyke's own, own child, she was saying to herself, I will make a good deal better use of the money than that hateful George Gallon would. No normal young man and no sentimental old lady could have doubted the disinterestedness of a girl with eyes like Joan Carthew's. Lady Thorndyke was delighted with the dear child's affection, and promptly sent for her lawyer to talk over the matter of a formal adoption. She also announced her intention of altering her will, and leaving only twenty thousand pounds to her nephew, the bulk of her property to Joan, who would no doubt be greatly surprised. Thinking it but fair that George should be prepared for this change in his prospects, she told him what she intended to do, in the presence of a friend, lest there should be a scene. There was no scene, for George was a sensible man, and saw that a little butter on his bread was better than none, but he hated Joan, and respected her at the same time because she had triumphed. He was not quite beaten yet, however. He had a talk, which he hoped sounded manly and frank, with his young rival, 
told Joan that he bore her no grudge, and paid her a compliment. When she went back to school, flowers and sweets began to arrive from Cousin George, and the girl saw the game he was playing and smiled. When she came home for Easter, he proposed. He got her on a balcony by moonlight, where he said that he had loved her for years, and could not wait any longer to speak out what was in his heart. "'Your heart!' laughed Joan, with all the insolence of a beautiful spoiled young heiress of eighteen, who has pined for revenge upon a hated man and got it at last. "'Your heart!' It was delicious to throw policy to the wind for once and be frankly herself. She was thoroughly enjoying the situation, as she stood with the pure radiance of the moonlight shining down upon her bright head and her white filmy gown. "'What a fool you must think me, Mr. Gallon! It's your pocket you would have me fill, not your heart. I acknowledge I have owed you a debt for a long time, but it's not a debt of love. When I was a forlorn, friendless child, you tried to turn me out into the cold, and if I hadn't been stronger than you, you would have succeeded. Indeed, it was I who did that. I have always meant to pay, for I hate debts. No, I will not marry you.' "'No, nothing that your aunt means to give me shall be yours. "'Now I have paid, and we are quits.' "'George Gallon was cold with fury. "'Don't be too sure,' he said in his harsh voice, "'which Joan had always hated. "'They laugh best who laugh last.' "'I know that,' the girl retorted, "'and passing him to go indoors, "'where Lady Thorndyke dozed after dinner, "'she threw over her shoulder a laugh to spice her words.' The next day she went back to school, pleased with herself and what she had done, for she was no longer in the least afraid of George Gallon. Some things are in the air. It was in the air at school that Joan would be a great heiress. The girls were very nice to her, and Joan enjoyed their flatteries, though she saw through them and made no intimate friends. When, in June, shortly before the coming of the summer holidays, the girl was telegraphed for, because Lady Thorndyke had had a paralytic stroke and was dying, there was a sensation in the school. Of course, as Joan would now inherit something like a million, she would not return. But after her time of mourning would come out in society, well chaperoned, be presented, and probably marry at least a viscount. The other girls were nicer than ever. Tears were shed over her, and farewell presents bestowed. When Joan arrived in England, Lady Thorndyke was dead, and the girl was sad, for she realized how well she had loved her benefactress. After the funeral came the reading of the will. The dead woman's adopted daughter, the servants, and George Gallon were the only persons present beside the lawyer. Joan's heart scarcely quickened its beating, for she was absolutely confident. Any surprise which might come could be merely a matter of a few thousand more or less. She sat leaning back in an armchair, very calm and beautiful in her deep mourning. George Gallon's eyes never left her face, and they lit as at last she lifted her head with bewilderment on the suddenly paling face. There had been a few bequests to servants and to a favourite charity. Everything else which Lady Thorndyke died possessed of was left unconditionally to her nephew, George Gallon. There was no mention of Joan Carthew. The will was dated ten years before. Lady Thorndyke had put off making the new one, and death had rendered the delay irrevocable. Joan Carthew had not a penny in the world. 
save for her education her clothes and the memory of six happy years she was no better off than on the day when she threw herself under lady thorndyke's carriage at first she could not believe that it was true it was like having rolled a heavy stone almost to the top of an incredibly steep hill to find oneself suddenly at the bottom crushed under the stone but the solicitor's stilted sympathy and the look in george gallon's eyes which said now perhaps you're sorry for having made a fool of yourself brought her roughly face to face with the truth at the same time she was stimulated the words the look braced her to assume courage if she had it not she was down very far down but she was young she was beautiful she was brave and life had early taught her to be unscrupulous the world was after all an oyster she would open it yet somehow and make it hers this was a vow when the solicitor had gone george remained the house was his now what do you intend to do he inquired i have my plans joan answered in the man's veins stirred a curious thrill which was something like dread the girl was wonderful and formidable still not to be despised he half feared her yet he could not resist the temptation to humiliate the creature who had laughed at him it's a pity you never learned anything useful like typing and shorthand he said patronizingly if you had i would have taken you into our office as secretary there's two pounds a week in the job and that's better than the wages of a nursery governess which in the circumstances you will no doubt be thankful to get after what has happened between us you could hardly care i suppose to accept charity from me even if i were inclined to offer it i would take no favour from you said joan in an odd excited voice but i will accept that secretaryship you'll find me competent george stared you don't know what you're talking about you have no knowledge of typing or shorthand i am an expert in both i thought as a woman with large property the accomplishments might be useful to me and i insisted on taking them up at school instead of one or two others more classical but not as practical you would actually come and work in my office almost as a menial on a salary of two pounds a week while i enjoy the million you expect would be yours beggars mustn't be choosers replied joan dryly you don't withdraw the offer no replied george slowly doubtful whether his scheme of humiliation had been quite wise yet finding a certain pleasure in it still the girl's expression is queer he said to himself she looks as if she had something up her sleeve he was right joan had something up her sleeve something too small to be visible yet large enough perhaps to be the seed of fortune end of chapter two Recording by Lynn Allison